to the book of Daniel. Uh, spent some time uh, studying the book of, uh, or sorry, the life of uh, Joseph. And it's pretty, pretty difficult to find uh, two more godly men than, uh, than Joseph and, and, and Daniel. That's for sure. But uh, I want you to, to remember, you know, the reason why uh, God gives us these, these, these real people to look at is, is just because of that. They were real people. Uh, imagine what they were going through as we look at the narrative here. Don't just, uh, you know, don't, don't stay detached from it. Even if, you, even if you've seen the book of Daniel a bunch of times, you know, ask if the Lord makes it fresh to you. Uh, it, he just makes it come alive to you. And uh, you'll be able to identify, I promise you, you'll be able to identify with some of the things these, these, uh, these people go through. Um, you know, Daniel and, and his buddies and, and, and some of the other uh, uh, people that come and go uh, throughout the, the story. And then how, how God really, he, he, he prepares Daniel um, to be used as, as really as a prophet. And just to, to, uh, to put forth some remarkable truths and some prophecies that we're even probably living through right now and are on the, on the verge of, of, of seeing in the coming days. And uh, that's going to be exciting to see as well as we get more into the book. But uh, the beginning of the book here, just, uh, it just gives us the setting. It just gives us the, the setting right off. It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, uh, 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 came Nebuchadnezzar. So you have two kings here. And, you know, when it comes to, uh, when it comes to, to, to the Bible, it, it, it's not primarily a historical book. But it does have history in it, and the history that it has is accurate. It's 100% accurate. And uh, many times, you know, the, the Bible just kind of gives us the historical setting for, for things, uh, for the validity of it, and, and it certainly uh, does that uh, here. But it says, uh, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem, and look what it says here, and besieged it. Now, Jerusalem, you know, that, that, was, that was Daniel's homeland. And just let me tell you, one thing we can tell for sure by that, the fact that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, probably the most powerful man in the world at that time, if he was besieging Jerusalem, they were in big trouble. They were in big trouble. Uh, and so uh, Daniel's homeland... Uh, was going to go through some really tough times. And uh, Daniel lived through some very, very challenging times. But yet we look back today, we look back today, and we see that Daniel is one of the most admirable uh, men of God that we see in the whole Bible. That's interesting, isn't it? And uh, so let's pray that God will help us with this study uh, starting today. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would use it in our lives right now. I pray, Lord, that you'd empower me to be a good uh, uh, preacher of your word and uh, that it would be clear, that it would be helpful as, as you use it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we said here the first couple of verses are introductory and they tell us uh, the circumstances which led to Daniel actually living in Babylon. We don't really see anything mentioned of him uh, living in his homeland, uh, but we know the history of it a bit. Actually, Nebuchadnezzar made three uh, major campaigns into Daniel's land. And the first uh, campaign, that's when Daniel and, and uh, uh, Azariah, Hananiah, and Mishael, as they're in, uh, initially introduced, um, came to, 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 to Babylon. They were, they, they were, they were taken uh, from their homeland. They were taken captive uh, to, to Babylon. Uh, and during the second campaign, 
you've heard of the prophet, uh, or sorry, the priest Ezekiel. And Ezekiel uh, was actually taken uh, uh, during that time. And then the third campaign, we would, we would uh, associate that as uh, being at the same time period that Jeremiah was prophet. All right? But here we see uh, the, the setting here that, uh, that, that Daniel ended up in Babylon as a result of a great national tragedy uh, for Israel. And uh, they were besieged and they were conquered. Now, you, you think of being conquered. I mean, they, 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 were, they were living in, 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 in their land. I'm sure they had uh, a certain amount of freedom, even though Jehoiakim was actually a, a vassal of Egypt at that time. Uh, they had initially been conquered by, by Egypt, but he was allowed to be king uh, there, the, the, the southern uh, kingdom of, of Judah. And I'm sure that things had settled down from that. Uh, they were living with a certain amount of, of freedom, um, with, with their, their material goods, with their, their families. Uh, the familiarity in which they found themselves, we might call it you know, the, the, the comfort zone, the familiarity of what, we're, what they were used to. And we can identify with that, with that because we, you know, we live our lives and we get familiar with things. We get used to, 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 to the way we live and the way things are. And uh, that was all interrupted. <laughs> um, that, that was all uh, well, it was lost. It was all lost. And, uh, you know, when it comes to, to, to Jerusalem, which was besieged here, we know that Jerusalem, I mean, Jerusalem was God's city. Uh, Jerusalem, the, the, the word Jerusalem means city of what? City of peace. City of peace. Ultimately, Jerusalem is going to be the eternal city, right? It's going to be a new Jerusalem. And, uh, and Jerusalem is kind of indicative of that which, you know, uh, God has a, a special interest in. And, it, and it, does, it does point to something enduring. Uh, but yet here we see that the, 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 the earthly Jerusalem at this time um, was in big trouble. And ironically, it was being conquered by Babylon. Now, when you look at Babylon in the Bible, you know, Babylon is, 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 is always got like this picture of, it's like the bastion of humanism. You know, it goes back to the, to the Garden of Eden. That was really uh, the region there in which, which Babel, you know, ultimately uh, came. Uh, and so you had the humanism of mankind in that region. And then it was perpetuated uh, through, you know, those who came and built the Tower of Babel. Remember? It was humanist as it comes, right? Let's get together and let's make a name what is, for, for, for God. No, let's make a name for ourselves that's humanism right there right let's make a name for ourselves let's set this up let's build this and uh and and and, and so we'll have notoriety in this it'll be a great accomplishment that, that we have done and so we see that in the, in the tower of babel and then later in babylon itself in babylon nebuchadnezzar remember he was the one that kind of had that same spirit he was the one that uh you know we're going to see well, I went and, and went up and looked at his realm there and said, look at what I have accomplished, right? Just the, the spirit of humanism uh, there. And uh, you trace that, that spirit of humanism all the way up through today. The spirit of Babel uh, in Babylon is, is, is alive and well, isn't it? Um, it is still pre predominant. It's still prevalent, I guess we would say, in, in our society. Where people, you know, they love to think that they can build something here apart from God. You know, this is our planet. We're going to make this planet what we want it to be. We're going to make a name for ourselves by having, you know, uh, kind of created utopia on earth here uh, and, 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 and worshiping uh, in a humanistic sense the, the realm in which God has allowed us to be with no real regard for God. And, and then it talks a lot about Babylon or the spirit of Babylon in the book of Revelation, how God ultimately deals 
um, with that, which is an interesting study in and of itself. But here you have Babylon, ironically, being used as an instrument of judgment for God's people. That, 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 that's, a, that's something to take note of uh, here. Because just because God you know, has, has uh, people that have especially been blessed by him, doesn't mean that if they, you know, if they turn away from him, that that blessing is just going to automatically continue. And there's times, there's times when God, as it says here, uh, look at the beginning of verse 2. It says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. <laughs> Whose hand did he give uh, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into? Well, into the hand of the Babylonian king. The land that was especially blessed by God actually became besieged and conquered by the humanistic ones. But we can see here very clearly that it was, it was the Lord <laughs> that allowed that to happen. It was the Lord that gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, uh, into his hand. And, uh, and so, you know, the, the two players here on the human stage of power are Jehoiakim and Nebuchadnezzar. They're the two players on the human stage of power. But who is always in the ultimate power? Well, the one who allowed that, gave it over into his hand. You know, uh, The world will look and say, well, and this, this is all about you know, the supreme power, Nebuchadnezzar, overcoming another power. But we're giving insight into here there was something much larger even than that going on, which maybe no one else was really taking that much notice of except for God's people, perhaps. And uh, uh, Jehoiakim was the son of Josiah. Now, do you know Josiah? Do you, do you think of Josiah as being uh, a godly king or an evil king? He, was a, he had a tender heart, right? He had a tender heart towards God. And that, 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 that reminds me again, you know, it only takes one generation to step away from that. There's nothing automatic that just because there's a dad that has a tender heart and is godly, that the son, that's going to happen automatically with the son. And Jehoiakim ended up being an, an, an evil king. In fact, he was the one that was, was, was so defiant that when the word of God was brought to him, it was sort of like a final warning. <coughs> he was in his winter palace with the wood stove going there. And what did he decide to do? He decided instead of taking heed to God's word, he took his, 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 his knife and, and shredded, shredded that, that, that material and threw it in the fire. And that was really the end of Jehoiakim right there. That was the end of him right there. Because anytime we decide to just shred God's word, anytime we decide that, that we have no use for God's word anymore, that, that's, that, and, and for all intents and purposes, that's the end. That's the end. And you have a, you spread that out to a people. You have a people that say, we don't, we, don't, we don't desire God's word anymore. We have no use for God's word anymore. We don't need that stuff anymore. That's just an interruption to what we want to do. That's just something that, that is, you know, uh, is outdated and uh, it doesn't fit our agenda. That's the end. You're cutting yourself off in the words of life right there. And that's what Jehoiakim uh, Jehoiakim ended up doing and when a person does that you know uh, usually the people that are close to them have to pay a price for that too and you have a king that does that you have a king that does that that has big implications because then you know the whole nation um, 
well followed into a lot of, of the, the outcome uh, of that. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar, his name means a vessel of Nebo. <laughs> Impressive. A vessel of Nebo. Nebo was an idol. All right. Nebo was characterized by just being made out of just materials that God had made. The true God. Nebo was nothing. Nebo couldn't conquer anybody. Nebo couldn't create anything. Nebo was, you compare it to the true God, pathetic. Pathetic. But you had the vessel of Nebo, which is bringing a reproach to God's people by conquering them. What a sad thing that is. What a sad thing it is when those that, 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 that don't have uh, truth and power you know, overcome uh, God's people because we allow them to. Because we allow them to. And uh, you know, I had this thought that human workings and motives are often the headlines. And the headlines at this time would have been what? Jehoiakim is conquered by Nebuchadnezzar. That would be the headline, right? Human workings and motives are often the headlines. God's workings are largely disregarded by mankind. What's in the headlines today? Well, all kinds of stuff are in the headlines today. And it seems like right now that if you, you, know, you focus on those headlines, that they're, they're the biggest things going ever. <laughs> the magnitude of them. And it can be overwhelming. But you know, those are the human headlines. And never forget... The same God that was working here, Jehoiakim, Nebuchadnezzar, is the same God that's working today. And, uh, and you pay attention to what he has to say. You pay attention. Don't, don't shred up God's word in the midst of a hard time. And so it says there, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Verse 2. Look at this. It says, With part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, the house of Nebo, the things that were dedicated to God's service. The things that were to be used to give praise to Almighty, the one true God of the universe. Think about how pathetic this is. They're being carried off to the house of Nebo. The house of Nebo. And uh, it's amazing how you can go, you can go to, to a lot of the, you know, the capitals and the buildings in, in, uh, in our land today. And you can see a lot of scripture there. You can see, like, a lot of stuff, you know, in regards to, to God. In God we trust, that we would presume that's Elohim, right? And, and things that, that, that on the surface give glory to God, but just, they've been offered to Nebo. They've been offered to the God of humanism. And uh, it's, it's a tragedy. But, uh, you know, <laughs> and this, is, this seems a little negative, but don't forget who we're talking about here. This is the story of, of Daniel. And this is the story of Azariah. Hananiah, Mishael, right? Who lived through those times where, you know, maybe everyone else was saying, you know, Nebo is pretty impressive. But those guys weren't impressed, were they? And they were, they were impressed with, uh, with, uh, with the one true God. And so these vessels were, were taken and uh, brought the vessels into the treasure house of his. What does the next word start with? There's a small old G there, right? Of his God. Of his God. And... Uh, I was thinking here, you know, God's workings and purposes are headlined in the scriptures. You know, man's purposes and, and workings are headlined through their writings. But in the scriptures, 
God's workings and purposes are headlined. And the human workings are, are mentioned simply almost as a matter of earthly context. This is a matter of, 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 of an earthly demonstration of something much bigger that God is doing, that that's just like a, a drop you know, in the ocean of, of, as far as God's uh, plan for the ages and uh, is related to his will and plan. And so um, among the workings of human power and God's realm, people are either functioning, functioning totally in the human realm or with a consciousness and regard for God's authority. And this is really what's at the heart of Daniel's story. Because Daniel and his friends were contrasted with those that were just working within the, the, uh, the, the framework of the human realm. Remember the guys that were posturing for position and uh, trying to maneuver for favor with the king, and so they plotted against Daniel? What were they doing? They were just totally functioning within the economy of this world, right? Whereas Daniel simultaneously was on his knees with a regard for, for God's plan and for the big picture of what was really going on. And uh, it's such a great, you know, just these real human beings that if you can picture what they were going through, uh, we can identify with in so many ways and be encouraged by it. And so, um, you know, we think of the story, and, and, and I'm getting ahead on a little of these things, but uh, you know the parts of the story where soon they're going to, you know, Daniel is going to be compelled to eat the king's meat. He's going to be compelled to do that. The pressure is going to be on him to, to, to eat the king's meat. But we're going to find for some reason that was against his conscience. So he had to decide, you know, was he going to be pressured to do something that was against his conscience, or was he going to obey God in that? And, uh, and then, you know, we, we see the pressure to bow down to a man-made system, an, an image. And uh, the pressure, you know, that... Literally, the heat was on there, wasn't it? <laughs> the heat was on. You're going to do this. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna, uh, uh, kowtow to the pressure of a man-made system, or you're going to say in honor to, to Almighty God. And, uh, and if you stay, you know, you choose that, then, you know, we're going we're gonna, to we're throw you in this furnace. We're going to throw you in this furnace. And we're going to get to that part, of the, the most remarkable approach there by those three you know, young men. They said, hey, because of who God is compared to who you are, even if God doesn't choose to spare us at this moment, we're going to stick with him. That's what they said. And uh, we'll look more closely at all these stories as, as, we, as we get further uh, into the narrative. But, um, you know, the, one of the classic stories about Daniel, right? Uh, Daniel, learning in Sunday school, Daniel in the lion's den. Well, what led up to that? Well, a lack of compromise in his life. A lack of compromise under pressure. Uh, led up to that situation in which, you know, when we get into those seemingly lion's den situations, that's where God has the opportunity to, to really uh, show himself great on our behalf. You know, and if we never get into trouble at all, I mean, as far as like, uh, you know, problems go, if we never get into those situations, then we'll never see the unique deliverance of the Lord. And we can never, you know, we, we can always have everything in a nice, tidy little bundle that we've done, then why do we need God? Right? We get the whole American dream just going perfectly all the time. And so, you know, that's why a lot, of, a lot of Americans don't feel like they need God is because, in a sense, here in the world, they never have. Now, they're missing something, right? They're missing what the, what the gospel tells us that they, our, our, our truest need is. But, uh, you know, deliverance comes in those times where it seems like there's no way out. 
And I can't find a way. You know, I can't. I'm going to the, I'm going in the midst. Uh, I'm going to be thrown in with some hungry wild animals if I compromise. Or sorry, if I don't compromise. And uh, well, what am I going to do at that point? Am I going to obey God and try to find my own way out of that? Or am I going to trust God in his deliverance? And so we're going to see a lot of these things. And, and, and the challenge is, the challenge is this. The affairs of man are before our physical eyes, right? That's the challenge. Look, everything that's going on right now is before our physical eyes. You see what I'm saying? Are you like I am? <laughs> if it's before your physical eyes, it's what captures your imagination, right? Your eye affects your heart. <laughs> and so these things that if you're focusing on just exclusively on what's in front of your physical eyes, what's going to happen? Something's going to start going on in your heart. Your heart's going to be swayed by that. Your heart's going to come in line with that. You're going to get afraid. You're going to want to compromise. You're going to want to go along with what's convenient. But if in your mind's eye and heart, instead, you're walking by faith that these guys did, you can see something much bigger beyond all that. Then that changes everything. That changes everything. And so the affairs of man certainly are before our physical eyes. But the realm of Almighty God has to be seen through spiritual eyes and accepted and acted upon by faith. And that's why the Bible says so clearly, you know, don't just walk by sight. Walk by faith. And that's great to theorize about. <laughs> that's great to, you know, talk about in church. And we hear all kinds of preaching along those lines. But, you know, then, then real, life, real life offers us the opportunity to live that. That's what it does. And uh, it certainly did for Daniel. You know, we think we're just living in the worst days ever. You know, this is, I mean, no one's ever lived through days like we're living today. Really? Well, think about, think about the situation Daniel's in. We're going to read a little more about it here. Think about what he was going through. Pretty hard time. Really tough. And, uh, but he, he, kept, uh, he, he, kept, he kept his faith where it needed to be. And so uh, here we find a tough challenge for God's people. God had allowed their king the one who was supposed to protect their God-given land, to be conquered by a pagan king of a godless land. And their precious assets were pillaged, stolen, desecrated. Everything they held dear was threatened. Almost everything they held dear. But that which they held to be the most dear could never be threatened. And that's the story of Daniel. And so we come to, to verse number 3. It says... And the king uh, spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and uh, the princess. So King Nebuchadnezzar delegated to this man here, Ashpenaz, uh, to get certain of the children of Israel. Now, some have presumed that maybe this means keep some of them alive. Or maybe it just means that, you know, uh, uh, one of the ways that they, they did it, uh, um, Babylon, when they conquered, they would allow the people to kind of stay in that area, but they knew that they were conquered. And they would have to pay, you know, tribute and taxes and, and so on uh, to, to Babylon. So it may not be that the you know, rest of the young people were necessarily killed, but what it does mean for sure is that Aspenaz was tasked with, with rounding up certain of the children of Israel that, that he found to be, uh, to, to qualify. 
And they're going to give the qualifications here uh, shortly. It says, and of the king's seed and of uh, the princes. And, you know, it's interesting because obviously there was, there was things that had gone into preparation of these young people that made them sharp and made them unique. And I, I found with the world, you know, Christian young people, a lot of times they're, they're, they're pretty sharp. All right? Uh, they, they grow up in such a way where they have good work ethic and good, good character. And, uh, and they have a lot of things that the world finds appealing about them. Now, they're not, they're not, they're not usually interested in how they arrived at that. They're just interested in using their ability. You know what I'm saying? Because uh, as a Christian, we'd say, well, you know, uh, if, my, if, if we have some sharp young people, it's because you know, God's grace has worked in their life, and uh, they're trying to honor God in their life, and they're walking with him. Uh, he's, they, you know, God has used biblical principles to bring them up. Um, and then nurture and admonition of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and uh, that's why, you know, the, the, these, these kids are walking the way they are. Well, a lot of times, you know, the world isn't interested in all that part of it. They just want to get those young people and use them for, for their benefit. Right? Use them for their benefit. And that's kind of what was going on uh, here. And, uh, but it, uh, once that happened, and, and they didn't really have any choice in it, right? Then it was going to be a question. Now, they've captured these young people, as it were. They're in the setting of the worldly and godless ones. What are these young people going to do now? And Azariah, Hananiah, Mishael, and, and, and Daniel, I would assume you know, they weren't the only four that were captured. I mean, there was many others. But they're the ones that really stood out. Why? Because they're the ones that really purposed to say, hey, even though we find ourselves in a godless setting now, <coughs> We're going to stay on course with the way that we were brought up and that which God taught us and that which is real to us now because of our own relationship with God. You see what happened there? It had to be about their own relationship with God at that point. <laughs> they were no longer with mom and dad. They were no longer with you know, the temple setting or the, the educational setting in which they were brought up. Now they're in a place where nobody would have blamed them. If they had just gone along with the flow, if they just became Babylonians, if they had just gone along with their new names, which you're going to see here shortly, with their new identity, and just kind of blend in, be conformed to this world, as it talks about in the book of Romans. But they didn't do that. They didn't do that. It's a powerful, powerful uh, picture uh, to us. And uh, well, what was the world uh, looking for? Well, what the world looks for today. These are the things they value. Hey, uh, 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 says Ashpenaz, go find uh, some of these guys. Uh, verse 4, children in whom was no blemish. So I want them to be physically superior. Right? The world values that today, right? Uh, the things that they value a lot of times are more superficial things. And, and, and so physically superior. Find, them, uh, find the ones in whom is no blemish. But are well favored. So they're good looking and, and they're physically superior. And they're skillful in all wisdom, cunning in knowledge, and understanding science. They're academically superior. And the world really, really, uh, uh, you know, glorifies that, being physically superior and academically superior. Um, later, it, it talks about uh, the thing that made Daniel stand out was his excellent spirit. You know, a lot, of, a lot of, a lot of young people have, you know, maybe they're 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 physically gifted, they're intellectually gifted, but what's their spirit? What's their what's their true commitment to to God? 
And, uh, and then it says here, um, number three, it says, and such as had the ability in them to stand in the king's palace. They were socially uh, superior. And uh, whom uh, they might teach the learning in the tongue of the Chaldeans. Now notice there, not only were they taken away from their families and homeland, but they were taken to another culture where they didn't even speak the language. You think about that. I mean, put yourself in a moment in, in these guys' situation. Their land had been conquered. Everything that they had cherished up to that point had been stripped from them, and they're taken to a foreign land, and they don't even speak the language there. That'd be pretty overwhelming, wouldn't it? I mean, their minds had to be spinning. But somewhere amidst all of that, they were able to, to you know, to... To, to catch themselves and say, okay, it doesn't matter where we are or what's going on, we're going to stay true to our purpose. And actually, Daniel is going to use that concept right there, what his purpose was in his heart, uh, very shortly, as he's challenged with some specific things. Because now it's just about, it's about you know, there's a lack of a, of a comfort zone. There's, everything's different. But he hasn't been faced with the specific challenges of that yet. But that's coming, that's coming very soon. And, uh, and so it uh, says, verse 7, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. And so the world, you know, wants to change their identities here. For he gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar. Now the, the name Daniel means God is my judge. That's, that's, a, that's a good name, isn't it? Be a strong, godly name. God is my judge. I always want to remember that God, God's the one that, that I, I truly need to be thinking of as being my judge. Belteshazzar was a name that identified him with a Babylonian god, the god Bel. And so here he's changed, they cha they want, they're trying to you know, change his identity. God is my judge to, you know, the Babylonian god is my judge. Hananiah means Jehovah is gracious. What a great godly name. Jehovah is gracious. But Shadrach, they changed the name to Shadrach, under the command of Aku, the moon god. <laughs> uh, impressive name. What's your name? Me. I'm under the command of Aku, the moon god. You know? Uh, before, my name was Gracious as Jehovah. Now it's the moon god. And uh, that'd be a bummer of a, of a name change right there. But, uh, you know, I think these guys always remembered who the, what, their, what their names really were, what their true identity was. Uh, I believe we'll see that, that clearly. But uh, so then we have Mishael. And Mishael was the rhetorical question, uh, who is the one true God? Mishael. And his name um, was changed to Mishak or Mishaku, um, who is as the moon god is. So it's almost as if, you know, it was like, it was like intentional that their names were, were a, a reproach to, to their, uh, their Jewish names. It's almost like it was in their face, you know. It's almost like, hey, we've conquered you, so we're going to give you a name. What did your God do for you? Our God allowed us to conquer you. So we're going to give you a name that's, you know, that shows that our God is superior. And, uh, and so the world wants to change the identity of Christian uh, young people and, and make, make it look like they have something better to offer than what God ha has given them. And so verse 7, in the midst of all this, in the midst of all this comes this, this incredible thought right here. 
This key thought. This, this victorious place. It says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. That's amazing. Amidst all of this pressure, amidst all of the momentum uh, of the world going on in his life, what did he do? He realized that there's something that he had to keep secure in his heart. That he had to, you know, the Bible says, guard your heart with what? All diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. And so just like Daniel, you know what's the most important thing today? Where's your heart? Are you guarding your heart these days? Are you in your heart? Are you purposing to keep your identity as to who you are and what you're going to continue to do? What am I going to do today? The same as I've always done. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to thank the Lord for this day. I'm going to spend time in his word. And I'm going to ask him to help me to live in the light of that word another day. What am I going to do tomorrow? I'm going to wake up. I'm going to thank the Lord for that day. I'm going to count my blessings. I'm going to spend time in his word. I'm going to ask him to help me live uh, my life tomorrow in light of his word. And I'm a purpose day by day. That it doesn't matter the setting in which I live. It doesn't matter what the people who may have no regard for God are doing around me. I'm going to continue to walk by faith. Purposing. Because that's where it's going to come from. It's going to come from your heart. That's where the battle is fought right there. Something's going on in your heart today. Something's going on in your heart. And you remember when God, you know, when, when, when Adam and Eve were, de were deceived in their heart? And, and God came and, and things had changed because they had, they, had, uh, uh, they had turned on him. And they had uh, uh, they, they, not purposed in their heart not to defile themselves. What did God do? He came along and he said, hey, Adam, where are you? Where are you, Adam? Does that mean because God, you know, was perplexed because he couldn't find him? No, he's, what, what he was really saying is, what's going on in your heart? What's going on in your heart today, Adam? Where are you? What are you doing because of what's going on in your heart? What are you doing, Adam? You're hiding from me. You're over there. You're pathetic. You're guilty. You're defeated. What are you doing, Adam? Have you forgotten so quickly what you had with me? When a little bit of the pressure came along and the devil came along with his agenda and, and, and he started lying to you, you so quickly went with that? You've got to get back to purposing in your heart. You've got to purpose in your heart, like Daniel did in his situation. And so the specifics came along here. It says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And we'll talk more specifically about this next week, but here's the, here's the point I want us to end with, is, is, is there'll always be a portion that will be offered to you. The devil will always come with a portion. And he will say, here, I have this portion for you. Take the portion that I have for you. Don't believe God. What he's trying to offer you isn't as good as the portion that I have for you here. And what you're going to have to decide at that point is, what's the purpose of my heart here? 
Is the purpose of my heart in this life just to feed my flesh and, and, and please myself and uh, live that I, that I want to uh, 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 live just, just, just floating with the momentum of this dead world? Or is the purpose of my heart that I'm not going to defile myself before God? I'm going to be content with his portion instead. Because I can, I can promise you one thing. The portion that the devil offers you is never to be compared with that, that, that which uh, the, our good, loving Lord has for us. And beyond that, he wins. He wins now, today, and forever. That's what we want to stick with right there. So we're going to see so much more detail uh, to this. This is just the introductory you know, spirit of it and, and, and the thoughts that we can take uh, just to, to get us thinking along a certain line as we study the book of uh, Daniel uh, with, with his friends uh, there uh, as well. So how uh, many say I'm looking forward to, uh, to what God's going to teach me through the book of Daniel? <laughs> That's great. That's encouraging. I am too. And uh, God's word will preach to me first, and I'll try to be faithful to pass that along uh, to you as well. So I'm going to close in prayer here. As we do that, though, uh, let's just let's, let's think, about, let's think about where we are. Let's let God ask us that question today. Where are you today? You know, use, insert your name there. Where are you? Where are you? Let him ask you that question, and let him help you. Uh, get, get, you know, maybe you need to get back to, to a certain point in your, in your walk with him. Uh,